Thank you for tuning in to the Educational Leadership Podcast. We are meeting with educational leaders from around the great state of Texas. Hear their stories and gain insights into educational leadership. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining another episode of the Educational Leadership Podcast. We have another amazing guest, as usual, and we also have our amazing co-host, Corinne French. Yay! So glad to be here today. (laughs) Yes, yes. Exciting. We have a special guest. We have Dr. Lewis with us here today. Dr. Lewis is involved in public education, so many different and so many different facets of his life, uh, former superintendent, interim superintendent of Soto, um, and just a lot of other, other really cool initiatives related to public education. But I don't want to steal his thunder. Dr. Lewis, thank you for being here. And, and can you share a little bit about your background? Well, thank you, Gary, and thank you, Corinne, for asking me to be on today. Uh, I'm just, I, you said I've done a lot of things, but in my heart of hearts, I'm a teacher. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're in education, you're a teacher. And we owe everything that we have in this business to a teacher. I am who I am because I had great teachers. So uh, at a foundational level, I'm a teacher, but I'm also a child advocate. I advocate for kids and I advocate for public schools. And that's what I'm really excited about. I think God gave me a gift many years ago. It took me a minute to realize what it was, but I love advocating for kids and making sure that they're successful. Love it. No, that is, that is so important. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I can hear your passion in your voice when it comes to public ed. So yes, if you did, t- tell us what you're most passionate about right now in public ed. And, and you mentioned child advocacy and maybe that's it, or is there something else? No, I, I, I think my ministry work in this business is what I've always done since day one. I'm passionate about literacy. If a kid is not literate, they cannot be successful in education. So whether it's, I believe that every student should read on or above grade level at every grade level. So if they're in 12th grade, they ought to be reading at least on 12th grade level. To the extent that they're not, it's more difficult for them to graduate. There is a greater likelihood for them to participate in the poverty cycle or maybe even a school to prison pipeline. So I think at our core, we have a responsibility to make sure every student is literate. And how do we touch those students before they get to the schoolhouse door? Because 90% of the critical brain mass is developed from zero to five. So those early learning experiences they have between zero and five are critical. So I'm very, very passionate about literacy because my parents were and my grandparents were. And so uh, literacy has always been very important in our household. Go ahead, Corinne. Uh, I, I, so I always love when we have guests that I think I know, you know, so I know Dr. Lewis, and then I learn more about our guests on the podcast, which is such a joy. So I'm wondering about liter- literacy and different literacy um programs or when people made that a, a district goal to improve third grade reading school or do what, whatever a district has done over the past, what are some of the most um, in, uh, memorable ways that you've seen literacy uh, be increased, increased in, in the district, or it could be large or small, just some, some success stories with literacy over the years? 
Well, I tell you, one of the things that I've seen is that when I was a high school government teacher, the high school principal where I taught made students do uh, reading assignments over the summer. They had to do a book report, like two or three book reports. Our teacher workroom was full of paperback books, shelves and shelves of paperback books. So at the end of the school year, the students had to do two book reports over the summer. And if you did not complete those book reports over the summer, you got a majority to minority transfer to another school in the school district. You could not stay in the school. And so at the beginning of every school year, he sat on the front porch uh, of the school with his desk outside, checking the assignments that students had to do over the summer. If they did not complete them, they could not enroll. And so as a superintendent of schools, I mirrored that to some degree uh, when I was superintendent in Lancaster ISD. We had summer and winter reading projects that kids had to complete. And if they didn't, they couldn't enroll. And so that helped us change uh, the school district from one of athletics, band, to a focus on academics. Because at the end of the day, reading is an individual academic plan for every kid. And if every student has their own individual academic plan for literacy, they're going to be successful in science. They're going to be successful in mathematics. So, and then at the elementary level, it's just really focusing and honing in on every kid. And what I've seen, especially in, uh, in special ed classes, they celebrate the small victories. Like the kid learns how to pick up a fork, everybody claps. If the student learns how to wipe his own mouth sometimes, everybody claps. But we have to celebrate those small victories in academics as well. So when you have teachers that know she has a group of kids that are behind, they celebrate the small victories as they're learning to catch up, as they're learning phonics, as they're learning fluency. She celebrates, the, she celebrated the small victories. And by the end of the semester, those kids had caught up with all the other kids in the school. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, interesting. So when, when you implemented that approach, and maybe even when, you know, your mentor implemented that approach um, of drawing that line in the sand, basically saying, look, you got to turn in these book reports, you got to do these things, or you can't enroll. I'm curious how that was received, because it seems like, and maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like some people might say, hey, that's, that's kind of tough, you know, I mean, Maybe, maybe it was okay, you know, no, it wasn't. years ago. We had, a, we had a lot of pushback. We had <laughs> a imagine. lot of pushback. And, uh, and, and, and rightly so, because it was a tremendous shift at the time. But you have to be, if you're trying to change a focus of an organization to a culture of academic excellence, you have to be a disruptor. And that's what I learned from that principle. He was not afraid to be a disruptor because he knew how the students uh, were going to rise to the level of expectation. He used to always say, regardless of who the student is, they always rise to the level of expectation. And they did. And consequently, at that school, 
where we had a lot of high socioeconomic, high low socioeconomic students. Many of them went to Yale. A lot of them went to USC, Texas A&M. And no people, we, he sent so many kids to those type of universities that they actually accused him of cheating on state tests and stuff like that. But he just implemented a program of excellence and he expected the students to rise to the level of his expectations, and they did, and the staff did as well. I, I like I like the clear goal, right? This is a clear or clear metric or whatever you want to call it. Yes, versus, yes, there's so much mm -hmm. subjectivity today in society, right? In general, yes. And it's 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 hard to find those those clear metrics where you say, look, this these are the, this is what you got to get to get this. And I really like that because it's very performance driven. It's bit, you know, and that, that ultimately that's what we got to, got to do to, to level up as a, I mean, I think yes, as sir. a society. Um, you're right. You're well, right. I, I think, yeah. And I, I think you're, Gary, what you're saying about it being clear, I think sometimes we try to do too many things and a leader, or when we're trying to make a change in a district or change in any area, like we try to do too many things. And I think we forget that by, Focusing on one goal, making it very clear, other things, well, there'll be unintended consequences that will be good, unintended benefits. And, and I think we might forget that sometimes. Along those same lines, we, we had no idea probably of the power that we have inside of us when we went through COVID. Um, we tapped into things and, ed and educators tapped into resources and um, clearly we didn't have some of the resources to do the technology to set, set up to do it, but we made things happen. What are you, as you're looking, in the for, looking forward in the future, what are some things that you think we should be thinking about and future leaders should be paying more attention to? And I'm, I'm gonna stick on the technology piece, but you don't have to go there. But I think we knew years ago that we needed to get our students to some kind of one-to-one -one ratio with it with the device. I think we knew that. I think we thought that it would take 10 years. <laughs> it would be a goal. So what else are we missing? What 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 there were warning signs. And I'm not saying for COVID in general, but even with teacher shortage, we knew there was gonna, we knew this was coming. So what are some other things that we should be paying attention to? Or do you want to just talk on those couple of things I mentioned? Well, just let me talk about one-to-one -one technology, for example. I think we really did. We got caught without a clear plan for access. Students having access to the technology, having access to hotspots and those kinds of things that they needed because the world has changed. We are truly a technological society. And so... Mm -hmm. For us to still be with physical books for the most part, we really just got caught. But more than that, we got caught for having not done what we were supposed to do as far as foundational learning for students. Because I'm a firm believer that if you can't read a physical book, you can't read on a computer. Wow, you, yeah. You know, it's, it's still the same. It's still the same. The one thing that I would focus on going forward though, I, I had been out of the school business. Uh, the last time I was a superintendent was probably two. Well, I left Frisco ISD in 2016. So that was pre-COVID, but I was not the superintendent there. I was in central office there. 
But when I went back as the interim superintendent post-COVID, mm-hmm. I think what I discovered is that we highly underestimated the impact of COVID on the students. So I think one of the main things going forward is it's not just about the academics piece, but how do we put them back together as far as mental health? How do we listen to the students? Because I had students tell me nobody cared about the fact that I missed my eighth grade prom. Nobody cared about that I missed my eighth grade graduation or that I didn't see my friends for two years or that I was at home for two years with my parents and we weren't speaking before COVID. We didn't speak during COVID and we're not speaking now. So when you have those kinds of concerns, I think going forward, we really have to be cognizant of mental health issues or just just giving a listening ear to students and put them in a situation where they feel comfortable talking through things and we try to help them with that. I think that's gonna be huge going forward. I think you're up. Absolutely right. We if we we won't be able to fix everything, you know, because we, we have limited resources and what we can do. Right. But by asking them, how can we make this better? How can we make what you're doing next better? If some of them say like what you just mentioned, I just wish I could have my eighth grade prom. Maybe you have a mid-year dance. Maybe you have a mid-year right. something. And some of those, some of the things the students ask for will not be large expenses necessarily. And and just listening to them, I think we would be surprised. I really do. I think yeah. we, we um, tend to spend a lot of time looking at what the adults are saying. And I think even yeah. as trustees and leaders, you get, when you're so removed from what the teachers are doing in the classroom, you can get even more um, uh, where you're not, we can get even to the point where you really need to get back to the basics. I love when we first started, before we hit record that you said you're a teacher <laughs> and yeah. yes, you're, but you're Dr. Lewis, you're respected in the state and the nation, but, I'm a teacher. You're, but you're a teacher. But and, think about this though, but all three of us, if I ask you right now, who was the teacher that impacted your life the most? Both of you can tell me. We don't remember who the superintendent was. We don't remember who the principal was. But we remember the principal, the teachers that impacted our lives and had a, a, a huge, huge impact on who we are today. We know who those teachers are. We don't necessarily know the superintendent of the school at the time or who the principal was. Now, when we ask kids who was their principal, they'll tell you who their assistant principal was because that's who they dealt with the most. They really don't know who the general principal is, especially in high school. Yeah, it's You're funny. Right. It's interesting you mentioned that. So um, I, I might have said this before, but it's um, I don't know where I heard it, but I heard somebody uh, do a talk and they were talking about, hey, do you remember who who won the Oscars last year? And it's like, no, but do you remember that teacher? Do you remember the teacher that that had an impact? It, it's so true. It, I mean, it, you never forget them. Yeah. Mr. Pontoha, that's how I remember. That's who I remember. Uh, he, he's passed away, but but definitely made yeah. an impact on my life and and so many others as well. Yeah, um, I always talk about Miss Nobles and Coach Nichols. I'll never forget them. 
Well, it's probably not a surprise that I do remember our superintendent because I was able to work in his office. And maybe that's where I started falling in love with education and the leadership part of education. But uh, I remember Jerry Narcissi, who was our superintendent, and I had such respect for him. And I felt like I watched him. And this is what it looked like to me as a young high school student. It looked like he was running the world. And he did it with this calm sense of authority and pride and care for each student. And I feel like, so for me, I do, I went to a very small high school in Northeastern Ohio, but it, the, the teachers, I, rem- I remember almost every teacher every year, I can probably list them off. I should do that sometime, yeah. uh, just list them all up. But what teachers do and what educators do, the grace under fire, the, the magic, the being excellent consistently day in and day out. I think that's yeah. why I can't shake the fact that we have to keep shining a light on that good work that our teachers are doing because they are the superheroes. They really are. And yeah. so I love that you are saying yeah. that that's yeah. who you are. You're a teacher at what they What the teachers did during COVID it was just absolutely incredible. They were totally caught off guard. They modified, adjusted, and they performed incredibly uh, for the students. And then in the midst of taking care of their own families and dealing with their own issues, they stepped up and we can never give them enough credit for the work that they did during COVID and since COVID because it's been very, very difficult since COVID and they've stepped up in many ways. You know, I wanna, I wanna ask a question to you and we try not to ever ask our guests and put them you know, off guard or like ask, but, but I don't like the word learning loss. I, I, I think that our students, they, the learning changed, but I think they learned to do something that we didn't expect. They lived through a pandemic, they adjusted. We all had to pivot, but, but thinking of the, the learning loss that, that, that we were measuring them against something that we didn't like to begin with, the standardized test, but it is important. You, I mean, literacy is important. And if people missed years of instruction, what can we do? Like, what, what, are some, what, are you th- what are some things you think we can do to make sure that those students still feel prepared for whatever, whatever's coming next? I, I, this is what I say all the time. We have, we have to touch kids beyond 7.30 to 4. All the extra money that we put into schools, we hired additional people, we hired tutors, but everybody had a finite time to work with kids. So if you had a kid from 7.30 to 4, how are you going to divvy up the time as to who works with that kid during that time? We have to figure out how we're going to touch the kids from 401 to 729, right? From 401 p.m. to 729 a.m. How are we going to touch the kids? Because that's where they're that's where they're going to accelerate the learning. That's the only way they're going to be able to catch up. We have to have, and there are excellent programs out there that are 24/7, 365 because of the technology and everything that we have today, they're so, so far advanced. 
there is a reading model out there that actually starts from birth, that was developed from birth, that is the only one in the country that's doing tremendous things for kids across the United States. And it's available 24 seven, 365, evenings, weekends, and holidays. And kids are getting as much as 33% additional time on task. That's how they're catching up. We have to touch kids beyond the bell. And if we don't, we're never going to, we're gonna be, we're gonna fill up prisons if we don't. We gotta find a way to touch kids beyond the bell because that's just the, when we teach from 7.30 to four, that's just the annual growth. How are you gonna get the growth that they never got? Like you yeah. said, they didn't lose anything. They just never got it. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that's, that's, I haven't heard that term beyond the bell. And I, I love that. Um, there are so many great resources with technology now. Um, and so, yeah, that, that beyond the bell. And I think I'm going back and thinking of some of my teachers that I have these great memories of when I, when I went home, I still wanted those teachers to be proud of me if they saw me later, you know, that evening. Or right, they saw me right, right, right. And I think that, um, that that's what we missed in COVID. I, I, one of the things I think that's the hardest is that our teachers sometimes are other mothers and the, and the, the teachers are other fathers and other uncles and other brothers and other others they feel more than just the role of an educator yeah i love the way you put that that's correct mm -hmm. and that was hard uh, it was it was it's it just it's just hard we need we need those those people in our lives and we didn't have them in those hugs and those warm meals sometimes it makes it difficult well i know gary's gonna want to ask a, a question and i'm gonna try to ask one more and then make sure you have time for his but we're in the middle of the legislative session this will probably air when it's over, but gathering leaders that are listening to this right now, what are some, what's a few, and what is a few encouraging words you have for the educational leaders that listen? We have lots of superintendents and board presidents and trustees that listen, and I'm sure we have other people that are love education. What's some good advice and encouraging tips for them right now? Well, I, I'm a Lone Star Governor's coach, right? And one of, the, one of the big things about Lone Star Governance is, and it's board training, it's basically what it is. And it helps us to focus on the main thing. But I think it's not just for board members, it's for administrators, it's for students. And that is student achievement won't increase until our behaviors change. And it says adult behavior, but that's not just adult behavior. Student achievement won't increase unless student behavior changes. We have some kids that are doing some things in schools today uh, that are just not supposed to be done in school. And teachers have to deal with that. And until we take care of those kinds of things, well, then student achievement won't increase. As a matter of fact, we won't even have student achievement. And more and more, we're having to lock down schools and other things like that. And so, I, I just think that we really have to focus, and I'll say this time and time again, we improve student achievement one student at a time. So mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we have to think about as a leader, and one of my principals did this years ago, 
he took every kid's name and put it on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, four or five kids' names on that, on, and taped those to all the tables in the cafeteria. And all the teachers and staff members in the schools had to walk around and put a check mark by the kids that you really had a relationship with, right? What we discovered in that is that there's a whole lot of kids that don't have relationships with adults in school. And that was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my career because it showed us the kids that didn't have the relationships, those are kids that are getting referrals. Those were the kids that were getting suspended. And when we built relationships with every kid, that school changed drastically. Mm -hmm. And from that simple exercise, just putting every kid's name on a sheet of paper and had, we had some kids that had 15 and 20 checks. We had kids that had zero. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty powerful piece for me. So I think when a kid has an adult that's a champion and an advocate for them, they're going to be successful. I, I'm holding sticky notes in my hands so the people who are listening to us on Spotify won't see this, but I'm holding sticky notes in my hands. And when you said that with a piece of paper, I, it instantly made me realize if you're not intentional to make sure you have relationships with the people in your care, yeah. it's not going to happen by chance. Yeah. And, and that super, that principal that did that, what a wake up call when you see a person that has that no one, no one has checked it. It's not enough. Yeah. They're just in school. They have yeah. to have that relationship. So that is that is a free activity that costs nothing from the state. That costs you have no. to report that to the state. You don't have so there's no. no excuses. No excuses why someone wouldn't why a district wouldn't do that. Like literally, yeah. you've you've just you've created that by sharing that. Anyone who's listening, like this, there's no excuse. Literally no excuse not to do that. Um, that's powerful. Thank you. No, I, I, it is powerful. And I, I really, I really like how you mentioned the responsibility outside of the school and outside of the school day, because you can only, so you can only accomplish so much during the day. And one thing that I'm really passionate about is the connection between the community, the school district, the parents, businesses, and all of us working together. We're all, we're all a cohesive community you know we can try to separate it and say this is school and this is you know it's we're all people and we're all we're all working together towards something common and uh you know one one school district i know tomball isd they do a great job of partnering with their with the businesses in the area and the community and it and uh, i had the opportunity to participate in a program called uh, watchdogs where the parents yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing program yeah. where uh, you, you, the dads get to go and you know, maybe moms too, I don't know, but you know, you get to spend the day there with your, your students and uh, or with your kids and you get to see how they interact and who they deal with, you know, how they, you know, face different you know, struggles, if you will, during the day. And uh, so well, I, I got one that's a kindergarten, one that's a third grader. So it's very, very different, uh, you know, struggle. Yeah. So one, one's more worried about what they're having for lunch. The other one's looking, trying to look cool, you know, but, uh, <laughs> it, but it's so important. Right. And, and you see it with districts, right. right? Some districts, they get it right. In some districts, there's some, there's some work to be done, you know? Yes. Yes. 
I've had the opportunity to work with different schools from a business standpoint. And, you know, some are very respective, respectful of working with businesses and others are like, you know, not very friendly to businesses. And you're like, wait right. a minute, what? they're going to school to eventually work for a business one day, you know, we're all in this together. Um, so no, very exciting. Uh, and I really appreciate what you're sharing today. And I, I do have one last question before we close out. And then this has got to be okay. the most important question of the day, I would think, you know, no offense to Corinne's questions, but I, I have to say this one's probably the <laughs> most important one. And then I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Corinne. Okay. So if you were to, to invite another leader in public education to share their story, like you did today on the podcast, who, who would you recommend? Or maybe there's a couple people. Okay, there's two guys that you have to talk to. Dr. Demetrius Liggins uh, was a Texas superintendent. Now he's a superintendent of Fayette County Schools in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I think he is a brilliant mind. Uh, he's from Longview, Texas, and he decided he wanted to be bilingual. And so he went to school in California, college in California, and decided that he'd become a bilingual teacher. I thought somebody out of high school with that kind of vision and mindset. Uh, I think he's one of the most incredible leaders out there. And then you got to talk to Dr. Roosevelt Nivens, who was superintendent of Lamar Consolidated. Uh, I just think he is one of the most up and coming bright minds in the business. So those are two people that I think you need to talk to. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. We will. We will. I can't wait. I will definitely reach out and I know Dr. Nivens uh, and I, I'm pretty sure his literacy story will knock our listeners off. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, he, his story is precious and he is yeah. just a, a gentle giant and, and yeah. this in space. And I, I, yeah. I adore him. So it would be an honor to have him. And it's been yeah. such an honor to have you on You're today, welcome. Dr. Lewis. We thank you for your work. And for sharing. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was an honor for me to be on. And I really appreciate the invite. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. And before we close out, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor. Our sponsor is Ideal Impact. Ideal Impact's giving hundreds of millions of dollars to school districts. And it's zero out of pocket to the school district. It's revenue every year. And so if your district needs funding that doesn't involve the government, doesn't involve taxpayers, it's unrestricted funds, over 180 districts, over 700 million in Texas alone. So if your district needs additional funding, reach out to Ideal Impact. And for those of, the, those of you that have been tuning in, stay tuned for future episodes of the Educational Leadership Podcast.